We are today uh, going to wrap up, uh, at least for now, this version, this, this section uh, or series uh, in Songs for Life, uh, looking at the Psalms. This is a recurring series. Today's the last one in this uh, occurrence of it. Uh, and we're going to start at the beginning. So if you have your Bible, uh, we're going to be in Psalm 1. Uh, we'll also be at the end, by the way, at Psalm 150. Uh, but we're going to start in Psalm uh, 1, because uh, the Psalms, uh, they just, I think they provide everything, all these things that we need to live life. They invite us to engage with God. Uh, they address so much of the Christian life. It's shocking to me when you start studying the Psalms, how many writers for thousands of years have talked about how important the Psalms are to growth, that in them you actually find the whole gospel, right? Even though it doesn't mention Jesus, it's it's constantly looking for this one who will come and do these things. And so all the experiences we have, I I think of the Psalms, yes, they're poetic, yes, they're prayers, lyrical songs, uh, but uh, I think of them uh, as just experiential, right? They're the things that we experience and that people are going through Uh, because they're interesting, right? Uh, They're inspired by God but often directed to God, right? Uh, And so I think that they're just these beautiful things. So we're gonna talk about this this today. We live in a time of uh, rapid change. Uh, It's difficult for someone my age to, uh, you know, I'm not that old, but uh, still, I I remember riding my bike to the mall, right? That's a thing that happened. Uh, That's not a thing that happens anymore, though. Uh, Things have changed so much. Uh, I used to own my music, and uh, now we just borrow it, you know? Uh, I, it's just weird, right? It's just things have changed, and it's not just that. It's, it's, uh, it's not just the, the reminiscence of an old man longing for his childhood. It's uh, also, I mean, these studies show that the way that people think, the way that we get information, uh, public opinion and, and sentiment on, on issues have just dramatically shifted in the last 20, 30 years. It, it feels very uh, unsure, shifting and changing. It, it's just such a rapid pace. And, and how do we, as believers, as Christians, how do we even begin to sort through all of the things that are happening in the world and around us? And so... Uh, in some ways, our times are just like they've always been. Like it's always been change in society like since the beginning of time. Maybe we experience it inside, without a war, inside a country in, in, a, in a, ra- more, a rapid pace than ever before. But, but it's always been a part. Change and societal shifts have always been a part of human culture. I think the Psalms prepare us uh, for what we experience in life when we see these shifts and and how to deal with them. Uh, It teaches us um, how to pray. It gives us the language to pray. And also it tells us why we should. Psalm 1 sits at the front of the Psalter. It's what we call all 150 uh, Psalms, the Psalter. Uh, It sits at the head as, as almost a title of the whole thing. And then there's five books, and Psalm 150 is this excellent uh, wrap-up of the whole thing. Uh, they were arranged this, in this order, probably sometime uh, in the exile or post-exile, uh, after uh, Babylon had carried them off and they had returned. So they were probably ordered this way, but it seems very, very intentional that Psalm 1 sits at the top of this. So we are all looking all of us human beings are looking away, looking for a way to be in this midst of this change, in the midst of uh, life as we just experience it. We're all looking for the way to be a good person, to be a, a good 
husband or wife, to be a good uh, mother or father, to be, to be a good child, to be, to be a good citizen, right? We're all looking for how to do that. And when everything changes so rapidly, we just, I mean, who teaches us how to do that, right? Who teaches you how to be a good father? Who teaches you how to be a good husband and, and a good child? And where do you look when things seem to be changing so constantly, the answers to those things changing so rapidly, things that we thought just 20, 30 years ago are now mocked as outdated? <laughs> like, it's so fast. Where do we look for stability? And Psalm 1 teaches us this. It says this, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. His leaf does not wither. All that he does prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Uh, So it starts off, this is a story, uh, this is a song, a, a lyrical presentation of what it means to live life or how to live life or, or your whole life, uh, what it means. And it goes through these three things, right? It starts off with this, this pair of threes. Does not walk, does not stand, does not sit with the wicked, the sinners, and the scoffers. It's about how to live the optimal life according to the scriptures. How to, how to live life in the best possible way. And so the wickedness, the wicked is, uh, it, says you do, it starts off with what they don't do. Do not walk, the person that is blessed, the person living optimal life, uh, does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. The wicked are the ones that are just doing evil, right? And, and does not stand in the, or does not walk in the, same in the way of the sinners. So uh, you don't live with sinners or any, this, uh, another translation says godless. Those who are living life in a way different than the way that God dictates. That's who that is. Do not care about God, what God has to say. And then uh, scoffers or mockers, uh, these are people who, it was the antithesis of the wise. That's who the mocker is. The exact opposite of who's wise, lacks discernment. Uh, uh, They have a lot of pride, and the pride, uh, for no reason, and the pride won't let them ever change. Uh, They have uh, big mouths and stir up trouble, right? I think of them as, uh, this image, as people who just babble on incessantly without really knowing what they're talking about. Uh, so this is, these people don't do these things. And I think it's really easy, you know, you don't walk with them. You don't, you don't live life this way. You don't stand. It means you don't, like, this is where I, I'm associated with them. And you don't just sit down and dwell with them. I, I love that image of all the things that you do in your life. And, and I think that I read this and my first instinct is to go, yeah, who would do those things? Right? Who, who would walk with wicked people? Like, who would live life with wicked people? And who would consciously say, let's, you know, let's just go hang out with people who don't care anything about God. And, and, and you know what? Let's just sit around and talk about nonsense. Who would do that? We would. Like, that's, we absolutely would. It's just human nature that we, we tend to find ourselves in these situations. Like, what, what voices do you listen to? You ever think about that? Like, we didn't just arrive on the scene today as we are. There are voices that influence us and shape us in the way that we are. What voices do you listen to? When I was a senior in high school, uh, my, my poor friend, Jimmy, uh, 
I, I decided I was going to run away from home. And Jimmy goes, yeah, I'll just go with you. We both get in real big trouble, by the way. Uh, and, 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 and just, because we just listened to each other. I don't know who actually, I'm sure I started it, but it went back and forth to where we're like, yeah, let's just leave. You know why we decided to leave? Selfish jerks thought we had a bad life, you know? Sad, silly things. But, but the, the voices that you bounce back and forth in your head, you can convince yourself of almost anything. If you listen to it long enough, you'll think, yeah, maybe I should sell essential oils. You know? You've heard it long enough, maybe I should do it. I don't know, or whatever it is. Like, whatever it is you hear over and over again, we begin to shape whatever news sources we listen to, friends and family that we let into our life. We are listening to these things, and they begin to change us, whether we realize it or not. We're just influenced by these voices. And what this says is the people who listen, who walk, who stand, who sit, who listen to these voices It's not blessed. That's not the way to the blessed life is to sit and just let any voice that wants to have sway in our thinking. Instead, it says this. It says his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. So here's it. Here it is. It sounds, I think when I, when I read this originally, it was like, well, yeah, like who's hanging out with scoffers and sinners and like nobody's like intentionally doing that. Like sure, sometimes there's some place and the sinner shows up and you have to deal with that, but like nobody's choosing that. And then the other part sounds like I have to be a goody goody two shoes, two, uh, two shoes. Like I just have to like sit and just read my Bible day and night, all morning, like morning and night. And that's, I don't think that's what's going on. The picture that's actually being painted is you have a couple choices. You can listen to the voices around you that change constantly over time, rapidly, or you can listen to Yahweh's teachings about what is true and right and good, and they never change. Your choice is between listening to the voices around you, choosing and picking what you think you should do and how you should how you should live a blessed life, or you could just let God tell you, Yahweh tell you. That is the choice that is presented, listening to one or the other. And it gives you a little image. Here's what the two are like. If the one that listens to Yahweh, who, who meditates on his word, who, who th- listens to his teaching and says, you tell me what I, how I should live, he's like a tree planted by streams of water. Doesn't that sound nice? Possibly transplanted and moved there. Uh, yields its fruit in season and its leaf is not withered. All that he does is prospers. prosper. The other image for the people who don't, it's like chaff, a, uh, the husk of an agricultural product that after, they, after it's harvested and, 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 and treated, it, they would, it just it blows away. Those are the two images. One is stable and rooted, and there is strength in it. One is living and has the potential to grow, and one produces fruit that can nourish others, and the other is chaff, who has none of those things. It blows away, it is not living, it has no potential to nourish, it is weak, and that's the image that's painted. So what's going on in this, this image is it's about how you can live and experience this life. It's about the, your approach to your, your entire life. And the Bible says that there's, just, there's two ways. There's two ways. There's the grounded in truth and reality or to be moved by whatever comes along. Those are the choices of how to live. See, chaff isn't tied down. I think that uh, we look at this image and of course it's painted in an unflattering way. But I think that the life of not being tied down is very appealing to the world that we live in today. Uh, you know, we want to make our own decisions. We almost seem hostile to any type of commitment. Uh, this, this world, we're, we almost shun commitments. We're always told to be weighing our options, all right, for the thing that best suits our mood or our daily need. Uh, being committed to something isn't really in vogue. 
uh, we don't like to be tied down. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, if a wedding invitation came in the mail, uh, my mother would open it, and the first thing she did would go get a pen, and she would RSVP immediately. And I go, and I, as I got older, I was like, man, like, you were like, she's like, listen to me. They need to know whether we're having chicken or fish. And if they're buying us chicken or fish, you tell them as soon as you can. And she's like, you RSVP immediately. I don't, we, just, we don't do that anymore. You know why? Something better might come along. Like, I think that we just, we feel so afraid of committing to almost anything. We've been told that, we're being told that being tied down is a bad thing and that we need to be free to choose the thing that we think is best for us at the moment. That's what we're constantly being told. And the problem is the result of that is, is typically uh, has been uh, increased anxiety, right? I uh, feel like we're being pulled in a thousand directions at all times. Uh, it feels like the amount of information we have will never stop, but yet wisdom never comes. It feels like we can't trust anybody or anything. Because if, if nobody stands for anything and they're only out for themselves and what suits them in the moment, then how can they be trusted? I mean, there's an erosion of trust in almost everybody. A bunch of stories, a bunch of studies about how little people trust politicians, how little people trust anybody. We assume for most, the most part that the other people are just out for themselves most of the time because we have a tendency to be out for ourselves. I don't trust my doctor anymore, right? My doctor tells me a thing and I'm like... I'll Google that. Well, I'll be the judge of whether or not your medical tests and training are good enough to decide that. Because I don't trust him. I was like, hey, man, you're just trying to sell me a thing. You're trying to sell me a... That's what I, I told one guy. I was like, hey, man, you need to have surgery. And I was like, yeah, but that's because you're a surgeon. And when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And I just don't... Like, I, I'm constantly suspicious of everybody. We're suspicious of teachers. If I was, when I was growing up, if my, mom sent a, if my mom got a note from the teacher, there was no discussion about that. Heads would roll. Like, because now we we don't even trust. Do they have the best? Because my mom believed that she was, the the teacher here, she was doing their best to raise me up and we don't trust them anymore. We just don't trust anybody because how can you trust anybody if you're not grounded in anything except looking out for yourself? So there's a mass erosion in everything. You can trust a politician to look out for themselves. They'll say whatever they need to say. To go, that's what we believe. Used to, we would say, well, no. Like, the reason they ran for office, well, I mean, I imagine, not in my lifetime, but there was a time, hypothetically, when you trusted that a politician went into politics because they believed in the thing they wanted accomplished. Nobody believes that anymore about them. This erosion of trust because we live in this world where nothing is permanent. We're blown around constantly. And the problem is, is that when something happens in life, when life blows something into our, into, uh, into, when the world blows something into our life that is difficult or hard, we're shaken to our core and we don't know how to deal with it. When someone who doesn't have faith in Christ or doesn't believe in God or doesn't believe these things are true, when something bad happens, I, I gotta be honest, I don't know how you make it through. When the world as you know it and the world that you've built is shaken to the, shaken to the very, very base of it, what do you do if you don't have faith in something beyond this? And so I, so many people, I, there's a bunch of examples, and there's no point in mentioning them, uh, of people who have at one time would have said they were followers of Christ and now are no longer, and you ask them why, and it's because of a tragedy that happened in their life. They were shaken to their core, blown around. And the problem with living like that is, well, there's many problems, but, but one of them is it's dehumanizing. 
I read one time that uh, one of the reasons roaches are hard to kill, I don't know why I read this. But one of the reasons they're so hard to kill is that when the air around them moves, their antennas sense it, and the signal skips their brain and goes straight to their legs, and they shoot off in the direction. To save time, it doesn't even process. They don't stop and go like, oh, my antenna are moving. What is that? Oh, it's a giant Nike coming to squish me. They don't, they don't do that. They just take off running in whatever direction it was. And I, I worry that when we don't think and we don't process and we don't understand, and we don't have something that we believe is true that we're the same way. We don't stop. We don't take it in. The winds move about us and we just take off in whatever direction it tells us to. And we don't take it into our soul and process it because we don't have roots driven down into something real. So these trees are rooted. Uh, To be stable in life, I believe you have to be grounded in something as appealing as the life lived free sounds. To have any kind of stability, we have to be grounded, rooted in something deep. What is the thing that is so true that no matter what, you would not violate it? Right? What is the thing that when decisions come up and hard things happen that help you process the thing in front of you? There's a famous atheist philosopher. Um, I quote him quite a lot, uh, so uh, I'm not sorry at all. I find it fascinating. His name is Nietzsche. Uh, he's a German guy, and of course. And uh, Nietzsche, uh, it, probably most famous for this phrase, God is dead. Uh, and that's kind of, uh, kind of my introduction to him, and I kind of dismissed him for a long time. But when you read the rest of the quote, it, it gets really fascinating. Uh, Nietzsche doesn't sound exactly thrilled about the fact that God is dead. He's just saying, actually the quote goes, God is dead, he's been dead, and we killed him. And then the rest of the quote goes on to say, what are we going to do now that we've committed the highest crime that you could possibly commit? How we live our lives now? How will we ever wash this stain out? What sacrament will we have? What, 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 religious, what, what, what religious thing can we do to ever cleanse us from the stain of having killed God? And what he's getting at is, because he talks about it later, is, hey, listen, we don't have God anymore. The, the enlightenment has killed it. We no longer believe in this God. And we've put it aside. Society's had it for a very long time. Now What? And he goes on to say that you have to build it up yourself. You have to be very strong. He, he actually says what you hope to produce is a Superman, not blue tights and, and red cape, he, uh, the Ubermensch. You have to, these, these people who will build what matters, build purpose, uh, create complicated philosophical systems that make sense of everything. But then he said this. He said, I'm also worried, though, that we won't get Superman, we'll get the last man. And the last man he found very contemptible. He says, well, here's what the last man says. The last man will not care about purpose, does not care about individuality, does not attempt to improve himself at all because he says, I'm comfortable, and then just blinks at you. I found happiness. He was worried we would just produce a bunch of people once we killed God that just wandered around just looking to be comfortable. And he found that detestable. He says, basically, I'm going to have to build this own system, build my own system that makes sense, or we're just going to find people wandering around blown about. <laughs> oh my gosh, he was right. That's so sad. When we abandon anything that is real, we either have to build it ourselves or just be blown about. And I worry that we live in a time when it's just easier because we're comfortable to be blown about. What is true? And so what it says here is, what's talking about here is that we are being shaped, that we are being moved. And, and I think that we, I read this so long thinking like there's just this really sharp contrast 
between uh, you know the people who are studying their Bible all the time and everybody else. And you don't really encounter that in daily life. I don't even encounter that in me, right? Like the, this really sharp contrast, like those are the good people and those are the bad people, right? Uh, you mostly encounter what seems to be a mix of, of both in each, uh, in, in, in each human, uh, but what really is happening, what's really being contrasted in this psalm is not so much like these are the good guys and these are the bad guys. Good guys are happy and bad guys are not happy. Uh, that's not what it is. It's more than good people are happy and bad people are sad. It's the contrast between those who trust and love God and those who trust and love themselves. Here, what I'm saying is when those things are in front of you, you have to make a decision. Do you look to what God has to say to help you make the decision to trust and to let him teach you how to navigate difficult things, to let him teach you how to make sense of a world that seems to be constantly moving, or do you think that you know best how to grab the blessing for yourself? That's the two choices. Now, so what we'll experience then is very differently. You could find people who are, who are attempting to follow Jesus. I'm following Jesus. It seems like one step forward, two steps back, three steps forward, one step back. That's just Christian growth. <laughs> you're going to find people stumbling and falling back that are trying to do this. And you're going to find people doing things that look like good, that are following themselves, but look like good and approved things. But the reality is that the core is something very significant trying to follow God's ways, letting him teach you what is real and true, or trying to figure it out for yourself, and following your own ideas of what's right and true and good. And that is what is set at the head of the entire Psalter, is that this is what we are to live, to choose between these two things, our own insight or God's. The wicked, the sinner, and the scoffer are learning from God. We are learning from one or the other, and we are being shaped towards one direction or the other. Constantly. If you were a human, I believe that you were a spiritual being. If you were a spiritual being, I believe this weird thing that means that everything that you do is basically a spiritual discipline. Because it's something that shapes who we are. The voices that we listen to about what it means to be true and right and good. Uh, is it the Bible or is it other things? So here's the deal. To have this life of optimal stability, to have this life, uh, there's a few things. Uh, One is this. You have to recognize this. You didn't plant yourself. Uh, The biblical story is that you didn't go about achieving this and driving down roots yourself, that that you were planted. Jesus, he's sitting with the woman at the well and uh, in this amazing scene, and and he's like, give me some water, and she's like, "Uh, what are you you talking to me? He's like, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for water, and then he begins to describe the water uh, that he would... Supplies living water without end. That's who believers are. Planted by the stream, (laughs) filled with the living water that never ends. It's not periodic, but it's constant because it flows from who Christ is, from what Christ can give us. The Holy Spirit dwelling inside us, producing these things inside of us. But at the same time, we commit ourselves to learning. We commit ourselves to being shaped. You don't have to know much, uh, anything at all, really, to get into heaven. Uh, the thief on the cross, this is a beautiful story, right? And Jesus is being crucified, and right next to him is this thief, and he, all he says is, this guy doesn't deserve this. All he, did was, all he did was follow God. And Jesus turns to him and says, I'll see you later in paradise today. Amazing. Knew nothing. But I think if he had lived, maybe he'd have become a Sunday school teacher, right? 
I mean, I, I think if you'd, if you'd lived, there, there would have been growth. You don't need to know anything. The only thing that you need to get into heaven is to have faith in Jesus and recognize that you have nothing to bring to the table. But once we do that, there's this growing process. As we begin to drive roots deep, the Holy Spirit begins to drive roots deep into this truth, deep into this reality that we now use to sort through life. And that we now use, sort of like, it's not just that, that, that good people won't experience bad things, it's that good people, even when they experience bad things, have truth to hold them upright. That they will weather the heat, they will weather the cold, and in the right season, they will produce fruit that not only nourish, that nourishes all around them. So it's this driving deep, this committed to learning. This whole delighting in the law of the Lord, that's a hard pill to swallow, right? I mean, I get that it's good. I get that I'm supposed to do some things and not do other things, but delighting in it feels more like a task list, not something to delight in. What it's talking about, though, is when you, to being so deeply grateful, because what the law is that they're talking about, the way they refer to it, what it is is God revealing how the world's supposed to work. It's showing how things are supposed to be. Hey, the world is best works best when, for example, we don't steal. That destroys relationship and hurts society. It's best when we don't commit adultery. It's, it's best when we don't murder, right? He's teaching us how to live. It's best when we deal with these things in our heart. It's, that's the way the world works. And so he's teaching us these things, and so it is a delight to know in hard circumstances how to be. It is a delight to know how we're supposed to be and how the world's supposed to work and to know it. When we're committed to learning, we'll actually find different voices to listen to. We, we humans are group thinkers. And we think together. And so when we get the voices around us that help us see this, help us see the beauty of what God has done, it is an amazing thing. So here's how this, you get this. One, you're not, you're, you're not the one doing it. Recognizing that it's being done to you, uh, being in, done inside of you, the Holy Spirit doing this, that Christ has planted us, that the seed planted inside of us. That's it. And then this, this key word here. On his law, he meditates day and night. M- meditation is something that we do anyway. I mean, you're already meditating on something. But you're humans, we can't help it. It's the thing that you roll around in your head before you notice the radio's off. Right? It's the thing that you like, research over and over. It's the thing that you've typed into YouTube like 500 times. Right? That's the thing that you meditate on. The thing that you just kind of keep, keep obsessing about. Oh, the thing that you just keep looking at. The, the thing that you keep constantly being drawn to. It's what you're meditating on and it's shaping you. If you do nothing but, sh- if you did nothing but in my day, sit in front of the JCP. Man, this is, uh, I, I, I'm sad that my son will never know the joy of the, of the October JCPenney catalog. Uh, the sheer joy when that arrived uh, that was at my house because it was the only time you saw toys like that. Uh, uh, Just uh, so many amazing things that you never dreamed the world could contain. And Christmas, just two months away. It was unbelievable. I'm afraid that my son will never never know the joy of that. But you know what I was obsessed with from the moment the JCP painting catalog came until... December 25th, those toys, it's what I meditated on day and night. Which is why I was so disappointed if I did not get the evil Knievel thing that you wound up like that and it shot and never got that. Trapper, trapper keeper with the Corvette on it? Come on, that's for learning. How could I not have that? You obsessed about it from October to December. It was the thing that you meditated on. You are a human being. You're meditating on something anyway. And this says that the way to grow, the way to bear fruit, the way to be changed, the way to live 
is meditating on scripture. Not just knowing and not just being around it, but actually stopping and thinking about it and taking it deep into your soul, responding to this thing that God has already said, filling your mind with gratitude, filling your mind with what is true to the point that it begins to affect your heart and changes the way you feel. This is the better way. This is the thing that is real and true. And we fill our minds with this and not random winds that will blow our thinking all over the place, but with things that never change that are true. I'm, take this and learn it and study it. Get to a thing that you don't understand and ask questions. Take a thing rolled around in your brain. Ask what it tells us about God. Ask what it tells us about me. Ask us how it points us to Jesus. Ask what I need to confess about. Ask what I need to, what's the thing to be excited about? What's the thing to glorify God for? What's the thing to be grateful for? Ask all these questions. Roll these things around in our brain is the way that our roots are driven deep. Is the way that we grow strong. It is the way that we are stable in a world full of nothing but change. This is it. We approach it with faith. It is the Holy Spirit working inside of us. And what we're going to find over our lifetime, I want to be very clear, not every single prayer, but over our lifetime, is that we will find our life beginning to aim towards praise. Psalm 150, the very end of the Psalter, says this. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sounds. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The Psalter ends there intentionally because the life lived this way. The life, don't get me wrong, there are a lot of prayers that end in tragedy. They're hard. And they're going to be prayers that we pray that end in tears. But the prayers that we pray over our lifetime will constantly be moving towards an eternity spent praising God, filled with great joy and great peace for who he is and what he has done, spilling out of us. People of God have always lived in a world that's alienated from God, that antagonistic towards him and his people. But we find our direction, we find our confidence in what he has told us is true, in his word and in Christ. Those are the things that we apply to our soul on a daily basis. This is what the Psalms help us do. It's what all scripture helps us do. It's where we will find hope that one day when God comes and judges, that we will be vindicated because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the truth. Uh, that I've not been left to try to figure out my own way. I've done it a few times. I've tried my own way many, many times, actually. And it's never once worked out well. But you teach us. What a gift that you have not just left us to bounce around like a pinball in a machine, but you have left us with directions. You have left us with yourself. You have pursued us, placed your spirit inside of us so that we can know how to live, what it means to be, what it means to be human, how to be more deeply and fully human, to be planted so that when wind, the winds of tragedy blow into our life, we are not shaken, that we survive and bear fruit. When great good fortune blows into our life, we are not moved because we know what is true. 
You are the thing. You are the person. You are the truth that we return to repeatedly so that we may know what it means to live, to truly live. Thank you for your son who in, in your pursuit of us came and died that we may have life. May he be the focus of our meditation. May he be the focus of our rejoicing. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.